0: Hello and welcome to the CPD Group podcast. Join us as we guide you through all things CPD, interview some special guests and offer advice to help your business thrive. We hope you enjoy listening. Hello everybody and welcome back to the CPD Group podcast. Uh, Today we're doing a podcast about creating and developing high quality training and learning materials. Okay. So we've invited one of our advisory panel members, Kevin Robinson in today. He's also the owner and founder of yourcopywriter.com. So Kevin's come in today to have a quick chat with us about developing these materials and what's some hints and tips of how to do things properly and make the most of your learning materials and your training courses. So welcome, Kevin. How are you? You all right?
1: Yeah, I'm great. Thank you. Yeah, really good. Good. Good.
0: Good. I've even noticed the local church are ringing the bells signifying your
1: arrival in the building i watched them rush across the grass quick to get them started when they saw me arriving they had had spotters on the road (laughs) excellent they definitely knew you were coming oh definitely
0: (laughs) super so how are you today you well thank you very much for joining us i mean it's great of you to come in and see us
1: yeah no problem no problem i'm happy to do it you know that's um if being here today helps people out and it gives them some good advice and i'm more than happy to do it that's what we're here for isn't it
0: brilliant brilliant good stuff kevin thanks so, tell us about you, your background, your copywriter.com. you know, where did it all begin? And uh, also, tell us a bit about your experience with creating and developing learning materials.
1: Sure. Okay. Well, um, I was, I uh, started my career um, um, longer ago than I'm prepared to talk about, frankly, uh, in, uh, I was in uh, corporate sales, I was in international sales and, and marketing, and, um, in quite a technical area. And that involved quite a bit of training of sales teams and quite a bit of training, and I loved doing that. And then um, in 99, I did a bit of a, um, again, show my age a little bit, a bit of a Reggie Perrin, and, and, and just suddenly woke up one morning and thought, this is not what I want to do. And I went and retrained. Uh, I've been a musician for many years. I went and retrained intending to become a sound engineer uh, and came out the other end as a video producer, director, and a screenwriter rather than um, anything to do with sound in any way, shape, or form. Uh, and then um, as a result of that, as, because I was um, at that stage in my 30s, you know, the uh, school of art I was, I was at said, would I like to stop on and do some mentoring and teaching, which I did. Uh, then I became um, uh, the uh, the course leaders for the BTEC courses for the performing arts and the media department there. Then I did a master's degree in screenwriting uh, and obviously teaching qualifications and all the stuff that goes with it. And then uh, I was asked to become an external verifier for schools and colleges by uh, for BTEC courses by, by Pearson EdXL, as well as an examiner. And I kind of carried on doing that in a, in a variety of roles, either full-time, um, and then uh, off to universities, teaching there and things for many years. So up until... I was still teaching on a regular basis up until about a couple of years ago. Um, and in that time, experience-wise, well, one of the things that uh, I think very early I, I realized the importance of content and the importance of delivery of that content in the right environments and all that sort of stuff and the, and the value of that to teach him and the experience of verifying colleges um, which was um, I guess a kind of scary experience for the colleges because you turn up on the you know I had a big leather coat I used to wear on purpose to add a bit of menace you know um, and you were looking at people's courses and you were looking at what they were doing and sometimes you saw these amazing things you know these things that people had done this incredible work um to do something innovative and to do you know to, to to measure and it kind of sparked an interest in me um in, in that uh, use of that content and then when i uh, later went on to become a media producer independently as well outside the the education system i started my own companies i've been self employed for now about 10 years um what i realized was that that um Experience I had, as well as my academic side, which was the narrative experience—you know, the, the storytelling side—made this this um, creation of courses easier. It made it it made it um, more adaptable. It made it more focused. So I started to then also consult with online training courses, and I've written more courses now than I care to remember. Um, I'm, I'm not going to. It sounds like I'm showing sure off if I do, but several. I wrote. I helped to rewrite the Higher National Diplomas for BTECs. Um, I've written several courses, access to um, university courses, online training courses, and everything from very serious stuff like child protection through to um, food hygiene, which is similarly very serious, obviously, but um, you know, on a variety of subjects. And, and the reason I, I can write, I think the reason I can write courses and people are happy for me to write courses on a variety of subjects, is the skill is in the creation of the course. The content of the course is available to anybody. The skill is in the delivery. Um, you know and that's I think where the focus is and, and I guess why you know I'm, I'm kind of uh, happy to help out with the CPD stuff because it's it, it's fantastic when people get a good course that way you know and they learn and they go on and, and that's that's me. Does that answer the question? Can I stop yeah, talking? So. Now? I, I couldn't stop talking then, can I just <laughs> no, no, carry no, it's on?
0: It's, it's great to get that kind of, you know, little view into your, your past life and what you've been up to, you know, because you have a wealth of experience from what we've just talked about there. I mean, me and you have talked off camera before, you know, in terms of yeah. the advisory panel and things like that. So I have a bit of an understanding of where you've been and what you've been doing over the years. and you know you've got that wealth of knowledge which is why we're so happy to have you on the panel you know because uh that experience can only help in the work that we're doing to help raise standards of CPD across the across the globe you it, know yeah,
1: it is it is about standards that's what attracted me to do it was the standards you know 40 years of training and teaching and and and, and helping students do everything from writing dissertations to learning basic key skills you know mm. um it, it, being on the CPD panel felt like an opportunity to to, to I know it sounds a bit of a cliche, but to make a bit of a difference in in, in things, you know, to get it done right. So,
0: yeah, no, that's exactly what we're looking for. That's what the panel's there for, you know, to make sure that what we're doing is is the right thing, because we are here to raise standards. We are here to make a difference, as you say, you know, but we need to have that independent body out there that actually looks at what we're doing and making sure that we're doing it correctly. And that's the panel, you know, so it's great that you're on board. And thanks for joining us on that as well. So, you know. Looking at specific types of training, we'll do that later on in the podcast, okay? We'll look at the kind of different types of training that are there and get your advice and guidance around that. But in general, in more of a general term, what would you say or what's your hints and tips for quality content and quality learning materials? What, what would you advise in that area? What's the focus?
1: I mean, it's a hard question though, because there's a lot. I mean, it, it, I suppose the easiest way is to turn that on its head and say in 20-odd years of that, 40-odd years of training and teaching whatever, where do I see there must be stakes? Um, I, I guess if there's one thing I would say, it's learner first. But you know, it's not about you. It's not about your specialist. It's not about what you're passionate or interested in, um, although that will help. We'll probably we'll talk a bit about that later, being passionate about what you're teaching, but it's about learner first. You know, quite, uh, you quite, occasionally you 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 come across courses, I know they said quite often, then. I meant I didn't mean it quite as bad as that, but occasionally you do come across a course where the content is amazing, you know, but it's targeted too high. It's not right for the learners or it's brilliant and it's not delivered in a way that works. So I guess if, if I was picking one thing for anybody writing a course, um, it's know who's taking that course. And teach to them, not to yourself. Teach to them.
0: Great. Yeah, that's perfect advice, really, because that ultimately is the person that's going to be benefiting from the training in the end, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, and as part of our, our panel, you know, you're aware of our accredited frameworks that we use, you know, so in your opinion, how does having that published and having it public and actually having a set framework for people to work towards help ensure quality, you know, and, you know, our listeners and viewers, you know, they may well want to know a bit more about the framework and, you uh, How that kind of approach and and having a set framework to work to helps in the ultimate goal of creating a course.
1: Yeah, um, I I honestly can't praise that high enough. Um, I I cannot, you know, praise the the idea of the accredited framework in the CPD environment highly enough. It's, It's a simple, very accessible way of saying, does what I'm my course, does my content match these values? So for instance, um, I mean, accessibility is one that people um, uh, sometimes stumble on a lot, you know? Oh, well, I've got to do massive things in my course. But, but if you are being as accessible to many people as possible, then you've ticked a bit of the framework off, you know? So what it does is it gives you exactly what it says. It gives you um, a framework, a grid to work in, you know? So you can say, am I doing this? Am I doing this? You know, am I testing? Uh, is this aimed at the right uh, uh, people? Am I being innovative? really have I tried here you know have I done and as long as you can honestly look at the framework and say I hit every mark then I can't see how you can write a bad course or, or put a bad uh, event together or have a bad apprenticeship program or whatever you know because the principles of the accredited framework are the principles of any good learning experience so you know what what you're doing here is not dissimilar by putting the accreditive framework on it's not dissimilar to how uh, for instance sitting guilds and BTECs and things like that work where they say these are our goals you take your learners to that goal and i think that's that's the right word to another thing to remember as well when you're looking at the accredited framework learners do these help learning do they help the learner do what they're here for or do they help them learn so as long as you can individualize that down to your course and you hit those marks it's fantastic i think it's a brilliant a brilliant idea it's really well designed um, and a nice monomic as well to remember it by which is always good absolutely love a good monomic <laughs> yeah you've got to
0: haven't you but no it does what it says on the tin for us you know it's about again it's all about this raising of standards and trying to bring everyone up to a universal position when they're creating their courses you know so that absolutely. the standards continue to grow throughout the training world you know it's, it's really important to us and again having members like you on the panel to help drive that forward and and r- keep reviewing it for us as well to make sure that it's relevant make sure it's up to date and we're asking the right questions of people you know so that. Kind of experience is really, really helpful, and it's, I'm glad you look at the, the framework in such a way. Yeah. You yeah. know. Now, now g- touching back on what you said before about the amount of experience and work that you've done in the online space and creating online courses. So, what, from your professional opinion, then, would you suggest is uh, you know good things, good elements, good good practice for creating an online course?
1: Okay. Um, it's it's a very good question. That like one of the things about creating online courses is um, there is this. Uh, myth. I'm going to say myth. It's, it's the right word that you create a course, you put it online, people are coming by it for the next ten years, and you can relax and, and, and roll around on a big bed of money because of it. Um, so I think the number one principle for creating an online course, uh, you, you you know, you mentioned it. it it's got to be up to date. It's got to be um, in the now. You know, and you need to be reviewing it regularly and looking at your content, looking at how it's phrased. Even sometimes, you know, over the last three years. Um, we've seen changes such, uh, government's pronouns. Mm. You know, if you've got a course where you're not acknowledging pronouns and the, and the, and the various uh, pronouns that people tend to use now, you're behind the times. Cool, update your content. So I think, you know, what makes a, a really good course from um, uh, engaging the learners is making sure that you're you're speaking their language and talking to them in a way they get. Secondly, just because it's online doesn't mean the course has to be death by PowerPoint in ten modules over, you know, an, an, an exam at the end. Um, you've been doing, you, you know, CPD group, you need so many inverted things with with um, QR codes in magazines and all sorts of stuff. And there's no reason why you should approach your training, your online coaching, your online training. Um, and in fact, I'll extend this out. You should, you should do this with any form of learning and say, this is how it's done. As soon as you start to say, this is how it's done, I think you're starting to lose, you know. Um, you, I don't mind you saying this is how it's done and here's why, if that's right. But think, you know, be creative. You're not face-to-face. So what are the advantages of online? Where can they, they can get downloads. You can send people off to research. They've got the whole of Google in, uh, at their disposal. Um, use those, those 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 things and use the, the online world um, rather than focus on what it can't do and go, oh, well, I'll just do a PowerPoint and a bit of video. It's not working. Video Video's great. But it's not a long-term learning tool, it's great in small bursts, so do something else. God, give people tasks, get them to come back, fill the answers in, in a quiz. Quizzes, you know, uh, at the end of every module, little tests to keep people engaged. The advantage of online, of course, is you're not fixed in a classroom. Small bursts, give people uh, things in small bursts, get you out of the mentality of an hour-long training session matter is five minutes works for a subject, do five minutes, you know. So it's about adaptability, and it's about it's about using the online environment, I think.
0: And, and out there now as well, Kevin, there's so many different tools available to people, yeah. isn't there? You know, and there's lots of different things. I mean, going back to the PowerPoint to death piece, you know, yeah. we, we have seen that quite a lot with courses that are submitted for accreditation, you know, where they've, they've tried to transfer their, their in-classroom course to the online space, and they've literally just put the PowerPoint straight up on the screen for people to read. Now, the one element that they seem to be missing from that is... The knowledge of the individual who was standing at the front of the classroom you know it's trying to get that knowledge which comes as the flow of a classroom course moves on yeah it, it comes out of the the individual with the experience the tutor you know so it's about trying to take that information out of their head and then putting that into the the, the actual presentation somehow as well yeah. you know we, we see that quite frequently where they, that element seems to be missing yeah. and that's where the true value of the learning actually sits you know what's your opinion on that side of things
1: the, the, there's a, a an analogy i used for this i think i if I remember right, I used it on um, one of the videos I, I, I did for CPD, about, about if you look at your course and look at the environment it's in, and the environment is really the biggest change um, in the delivery is, is, as you just pointed out, it's the environment it's being delivered in. So you can stand in front of, of you know a group of 20 people and deliver a training on Agile um, or you know training on food hygiene, whatever it is, And they've got you there to interact. You can see the body language. You can see how they're doing. You can go and help the people who are struggling. You can do all that sort of stuff. You can't do that online. So clearly, whatever you have produced for a classroom may be perfectly valid in terms of the content. And like I said earlier, I see some great content sometimes that is delivered incredibly well. Sometimes I see great content that is falling flat because um, it's not being delivered at all. You know, it's just being put up on screen. There is a place sometimes particularly with very serious subjects that require a lot of absorption of using a lot of text and very clear and, and you know, because um, that's simply the best way to learn things that are fact-heavy is that way. Most of the time, it isn't. Most of the time, that's just boring and frankly quite annoying. So think about your environment, learner, then the environment they're going into. When you're talking about online, um, what we see is a lot of courses, and a lot of the courses I've worked on, and i rewrote a couple of courses for this very reason, you, you um, what somebody's done is they've gone and, 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 and used part of the analogy here they've gone um, and they, I've got a pet and I need somewhere for that pet to live so they buy a pet home and a pet but what they buy is a fish and a birdcage mm-hmm. so in theory they did right in theory and it's the same with it with this class you theory, you can lift everything out can't you from your classroom and just put it online you've actually done it. it's put a fish in a birdcage you know, the, 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 your environment online is not the same thing and you, you haven't got a bird, you've got a fish. So let's, you know, change the, the way you look at this thing is would be my advice. Here's my environment, how do I use it? Not what's its restrictions, how do I use this? And then take your, your content you've already got and change it to fit. Repurpose, don't reuse is a good way to think yeah, about that's it that's good advice absolutely
0: no i do like your analogy there of putting a fish in a bird fish cage i mean it, it, it is absolutely correct isn't it you know you have done the right thing in terms of getting getting the pet and getting yeah. the home and putting them together yeah but it's well, just not suitable not I mean. particularly for <laughs> no. the fish well, absolutely yeah <laughs> so in terms of actually you know the if you were to advise me today i was creating an online course here today and you know what would you advise in terms of how do I structure it in a way? You know, do I do short, sharp blasts of information? Do I, as you say, put quizzes at the end of every module or things like that? Do Should I use gamification to try to attract different people to keep them interacting with my course or, you know, virtual reality? Is that is that something that's coming in?
1: I mean, what would you advise in that area? Yes, to all of those things. Yeah. I mean, you know, this is... is um, Some things work really well online. Gamification, you talked about that. That's a fantastic way of, do, of dealing with it. You know, little quizzes. Um... I uh, saw a great course um, a a couple of years ago that used a a technique whereby they would go, um, you know, they give you a scenario and then you'd get to the end and it'd go, uh, okay, obviously that's a made up scenario, but what's wrong with it? And then you could go back and, and, you know, the the learner got to then go back and review. And then on the next page, there was a, a little quiz that said, okay, here's some suggestions that might be wrong with it, which do you think is it? And then another quiz that said, so which is the worst of them? And it, and it narrowed it down, it did this thing where from the usual going, oh, I can get better, I get better. So you get to the right answer. So instead of going, here's what's wrong, moving on, mm. it went, well, you tell me what's wrong. You figure this out. Because um, one of the advantages of, of, of classrooms is you can go to a learner and go, go on, you know this, do it, mm-hmm. go on, you can get, you yeah. Um Online, you don't have that interactivity necessarily. So put things in that simulate it. Um, so gamification, yes, absolutely. Short and sharp, yes. Try and think in, uh, even in longer modules, I appreciate sometimes you need to do, uh, particularly on technical subjects, you need to do a longer section because you've got things that are linked together. But that doesn't mean it has to be one long section. Do five minutes, stop, stop. Put a break point in, whether that's a quiz or a fun fact. Or um, uh, One of the techniques I used was um, when we did some uh, child protection training, actually. And, 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 you know, it's a horrible subject. Nobody wants to look at that. Nobody wants to do it. And, and it needs a break. And you're dealing with some pretty horrible things. Human beings can be terrible to each other, you know. And, and so what we did is we, we put what we call espresso facts in. So five minutes, ten minutes into a, into a module, it was getting heavy. We'd put a little bit of music and break away, and it go espresso fights. Did you know that with this, because we were talking about digital safeguarding? Did you know that 100 million hours of video are uploaded to YouTube every day? It's amazing, isn't it? Okay, back to the course. No educational value in that fact, mm. but from a learner's point of view, huge value because they got to stop thinking about the horrible thing they had to think about, um, and uh, you know. Uh, um, Take a little break, take a little mental break before they get back into that thing. So there's techniques you can use like that, little things, short bursts. Don't push it too hard. Don't assume that the learner is as passionate and interested as you are. That's another one. Yeah, very good advice. That's advice, crane Across all learning, you may love it. You may think that you know the tax laws in Belgium are incredibly interesting. It might be just you, mate. <laughs> you know. So break it down, or find things that if if you're passionate about something, you're interested in something. Find the things that made you interested put them in. They don't have to all be about learning. It's about engagement. It's about getting learners into your world. Um, voiceover over um, PowerPoints. I, I I don't know. I'm trying not to. I nearly swore then at this. <laughs> um, you see a training course and the PowerPoint comes up and somebody reads what's on the PowerPoint, and it's in subtitles as well underneath. And you think, well, I'm all in favor of making sure the information gets across, but really what was the voiceover doing? Um, and I don't object to the, obviously, for, any, for you know, reasons of inclusivity to, to the thing being read out, but there's nothing to say that you then cannot use that voiceover in another way as well, um, introduce the slide. When people do PowerPoint presentations in person, they very rarely just read what's on the slide. So, you know, the voiceover should be saying, OK, so, you know, we're going to talk about the I'm somebody got food hygiene on the brain today. Um, so we're going to talk about the, you know, hazard points within a kitchen in a minute. And I've got a slide I'll go through with you. And that can be, can be happening before the slide appears. Engage people, tell them what they're learning about. Then go to your slide. Yes, read it. Yes, make sure it's on subtitles for inclusivity. But just 20 minutes of somebody reading what's on screen to you isn't really teaching, you know? Yeah. yeah, So there's all sorts of things you can do. I mean, um, on, uh, the other thing I would say as well on this, sorry, but this is sort of straight into an area where I have many frustrations. <laughs> um, we were talking just before the, 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 you know, the start of the recording about the use of video. Okay, video's a great tool, fantastic learning tool, but it has its limitations. Yeah. You can, on video, it's better off to your folks and just go one thing done quickly, as fast as possible, do your message and get out. And there's a reason that people's attention span for videos, it's not quite as short as you'll read on the internet, but, you know, a minute, a minute and a half into video, people have, are, are wondering, they're, they're, because we're conditioned to that from television, if you as a television are chatting to the kids while you're watching TV and things, you know, so video doesn't grab the focus the same way that a, 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 a teacher in a classroom will grab focus. And you have to be aware of that, use it sparingly and use it when it's relevant, then go to something else then go to your PowerPoint and your voiceover or go to a quiz or, you know, keep that stuff very, keep it changing because a disengaged learner is just disengaged. They're not learning. They're not learning at all. And you very quickly and very easily, if you don't do the things we're talking about here, we don't do things like the gamification, um, if, the, if the learner gets no gratification from learning, what you end up with is the very opposite of, of everything that, that the accreditation framework and CPD is about which is what you've got is somebody who sat there for two hours and then took the number away and didn't actually learn anything. Mm. And I'm really sorry, I mean, be a little blunt. You did it wrong if that's what you happened. You just did it wrong. You know, that's not what they're there. They were there to learn. I
0: completely agree. Completely agree. Mm. Now, I think there's some wonderful advice in there, Kevin. Thank you for that. You know, uh, online, you know, post-COVID, lots of people have, have been moving their training to an online space. So yeah. it's really important that these messages get out to people, you know, so that they can make the most of their, their, their training. But not yeah. only that, that the consumer, the learner at the end, is actually getting the benefit from what they are ultimately paying for, you know, that kind of thing. So it's really important and great advice. Thank you. Mm. Thank you for listening to part one of this podcast. We hope you found it useful. Look out for the next part coming soon where we discuss how to create an effective classroom course. See you again soon.
1: Before you go, did you know that you can receive a free CPD certificate from listening to this podcast? All you need to do is head over to the cpd.group forward slash podcast. That's the cpd.group forward slash podcast and enter the confirmation code 800008.